Hello. Hi. Welcome. Welcome back. This is Cute to Me with me, Colleen Brown. I'm excited for the episode this week. I've said this many, many times. I'm just so excited for 2024. We're leaving 2023 in the past. She is gone. She did not serve me well, except for the lessons I've learned. But besides that, she can live in the past. And now, after kind of the holiday and New Year's bliss, I'm like, oh, we're really in January. January 14th today that I'm recording. And we're in January. Um, It was nice, but now I'm back to real life. I haven't even been able to complete two full weeks of work. I actually took off last Friday. So, I have yet to work five days in a row this New Year's, so this week is going to be... Actually, I don't even have to do it this week because I have off tomorrow, which is Monday. So you know what? We're just... Hopefully, I'll never have to work a five-day week. Um, That's not true because it will happen, but we're in January. I got a nosebleed this morning. Like, what is that? It's... I That never happens except for in January. The coldest of the colds, the driest of the dries. But here we are. I choose to live in Minnesota. And I'm trying to thrive, but my skin is drying off and my nose is bleeding. So it's real cute. But this episode, I wanted to go into New Year's a bit. So the title is New Year, Same Makeup. And we'll get into that a little bit later, like where that came from. And I want to explore New Year traditions and facts the various stages of celebrating New Year's Eve throughout your life and how it looks different, resolutions, um, what are the most popular resolutions, kind of a different take at resolutions as well, and um, numerology, wow, cannot, I'm, I'm going to fumble over that word every single time, so let's just acknowledge it together and we'll get through it numerology. Um, I talked about it last episode a bit about why this year is the year of karma, but I kind of wanted to get more into it and what the number means and how you get to these numbers and probably some other random thoughts and segues along the way. As I'm recording this, many of you know I have a lovely cat named Toulouse and he's looking at me as though He's so mad and pissed off with me that I'm not giving him a four-course meal, which is very rude of me, but I'm very curious how long I can get through recording without him jumping on my lap, rubbing his face on my computer, stepping on my keyboard. So we're going to see. Hopefully, we're only three minutes in, but hopefully he can last the like 40 minutes that I need to record this. Um, If not, we will need an intermission. Okay, here we go. So first things first, I wanted to just get into things about New Year's. Like even myself, I'm like, I only really know American traditions of New Year's. I don't really know um, what other countries do to celebrate New Year's and wanted to know like, when did New Year's start? When did that tradition start? Like what? So we're going to get into it. So I found a good article on good housekeeping and I'm just going to read some facts about it. This is not a good fact. This made me really um, upset. Over 50 tons of trash are left in Times Square after the New Year's Eve celebration. There is about 3,000 pounds of confetti that they have to clean up. 
seems like a waste. Haven't we found something else a little bit better? I get it though. Like I've been to places and concerts where there's confetti and it's really beautiful, but like once it hits the ground, it becomes so meaningless and sad. So can we have something that like disintegrates by the time it hits the ground or perhaps maybe it offers something into the world like every confetti plants a seed. I'm not sure. But 3000 pounds of confetti is kind of ridiculous. Um I also learned that the confetti drop in Times Square is oftentimes holding secret messages. They did this in 2015. It's was called Wish Fetty, where people were able to write down their wishes and submit them, um, and then those wishes were turned into confetti. And I thought that was really cool to see. But again, confetti, we've we have to come up with a better solution. Um, and then a little bit about like the ball drop and and why that's been going around. But the New Year's Rockin' Eve show that's on ABC. Dick Clark began hosting that show in 1974, um, and then it's been going on ever since. Obviously, they have had a different rotation of um, hosts. It was Dick Clark, and then it was Regis Philbin, Philbin, the guy, I don't even, what's he on? Oh, Regis and Kelly. Yep, that's him. And then Ryan Seacrest. So all white men, good job, can't change over that many years, but you know, here we go. One thing that I thought was interesting about resolutions that's on this list is that it was saying that nearly 80% of resolutions made at the beginning of the year are often forgotten by February. Um, and I will talk a little bit about that with resolutions. And I think that's because of how we phrase resolutions and what are the top resolutions that people are looking for. Um, it is really interesting. So we'll get into that in a little bit. And we can thank the Pope for making our new year start on January 1st. That was another thing I was thinking. I was like, why January 1st? Like, especially for us, like the people that live in colder climates or like in the north, January is just kind of like a sad New Year's. Um, But it is based, this was introduced in 1582 by Pope Gregory and he revised um, the calendar. And it took almost 350 years for the world to get on board. Turkey didn't make the switch until 1927, which is kind of crazy. That really wasn't, I mean, that was about 100 years ago. But I think what's great about New Year's is for many of us in many countries, we're following this calendar. And it is a celebration that we're all cohesively involved in that doesn't happen often right with different celebrations um, or holidays that we have around the world as right people are honoring their own traditions their own religions their own country's way of, of celebrating and I think it's kind of cool that New Year's is something that collectively across the globe people are celebrating or acknowledging but we can thank the pope for making it happen january 1st the reason january is called january is also kind of deep so kind of like why january why the month well this will explain it's always it's all just always know it's going to be derived from a latin word that's what i've learned about anything in this life is that there is most likely a meaning in the word itself. Um, and so if you look at it, 
the Roman god Janus is actually rooted in the Latin word Iana, I'm, I'm saying that wrong, which means door. The name was chosen to symbolize the opening of a new door that happens when the new year begins. New door, new opportunities, closing the door behind you. I like that. You know, they were thinking. They weren't just throwing January out there. There was definitely meaning behind that. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I love that it's a new door. And that's something, an image I'm going to kind of keep in mind with me. Again, slamming the door in 2023. Do not enter. You're not allowed. Another interesting fact that I thought um, was thinking about the dropping the of the balls. Like the time, like in Times Square, as they drop the ball. Why do we drop the ball? What's the point of the ball? Well, the time balls were invented to help sailors. They were not invented to help us celebrate. Um, long before it was used on New Year's, a ball on top of a royal observatory would drop at 1 p.m. every day to help ship captains coordinate their navigation equipment. Similar, balls were set up in coastal areas around the world. So really wasn't used for us to celebrate more of a navigation tool and to be able to tell time. But I like the idea of how that was taken on and put into how many, especially in America, the ball drop, and I guess around the world as well, of how we celebrate. So we can thank the sailors for that. Um, And then I just think as well, what was interesting about this article is they were talking about different parties and how people party. But I don't want to get into too many specifics about different countries because I'm going to get into that next. Um. But I think one thing to call out with New Year's, especially when it kind of the ball drop it through like there are many parties, but the ball drop wasn't around until 1907. Right. So people were celebrating, obviously, long before that. But the ball drop, I think, really brought people to celebrate more. And there was a spectacle. Right. It was something to do to celebrate the New Year's. So that started in 1907. Um, and fireworks were previously used to welcome New Year's, but they were banned because burning embers would fall into the crowd and burn people. So that's not good. So then they thought, oh, we'll just lower a ball instead on a flagpole. It's much safer, which they're right. I don't know when confetti got brought in. Maybe it'll tell me more in this article, but I did not see it. So think about that. 1907 is when the ball drop started. And it's really been going on ever since then, except during wartime, which obviously makes sense. So there were restrictions during World War II. They put pause on the tradition um, in 1942 and in 1943. Uh, Times Square was observed a moment of silent at min- silence at midnight and said um, to honor those who are fighting in World War II. So I did not know that there was any time that they didn't do it, but that obviously makes sense. Another question I had was, how much does the ball weigh? It looks huge from a distance, and which is kind of funny because I'm guessing they did not use any type of ball like this for the sailors. But the weight has really gone back and forth. Um, it was first made from iron and wood, which was about 700 pounds. And then it was later reduced to 400 pounds. And now the ball is much different and they have different lighting and LED lighting, which I think they're constantly kind of revamping every year. But I'm glad they could get the weight down because it kind of seems unnecessary. 
And I think overall, like the dropping of the ball is a great symbolization. I love the tradition. I love where it came from with the sailors. And that's, I think that's what's great about any tradition is a lot of times it came from something as simple as navigating sailors. Um, so they knew where to go, but now it's evolved into this big celebration. I would love to be able to go to New York on New Year's Eve and celebrate there. That's definitely on my bucket list. I don't know how exciting it is for those who've actually done it and been to New York. Um, it looks really exciting when you're watching on TV. It's like really loud and really busy. I don't know. I just think there's something I've never been to New York, but I think there'd be something really special about being able to celebrate there. Um, another thing that we're probably not surprised about is the amount of champagne Americans drink. This was kind of shocking. Americans drink around 360 million glasses of champagne or spark sparkling wine on New Year's. That is insane. Um, that's, that's crazy. So how they were like looking at this is that that means that like within a certain radius, there's just always going to be a cork being popped. I don't know. It seems insane that 360 million people are drinking sparkling wine and champagne, but I guess that's the way to do it. Now, where did the New Year's kiss come from? That was another question I had. I was just thinking of like all these traditions and things that I see. For some reason, I thought New Year's had a mistletoe. Very wrong. That's Christmas, Colleen. But why did the New Year's kiss start? I did not talk about mistletoe. That was Christmas. I'll have to revisit that. I don't know why that came to my mind. But New Year's kiss, that started with the Romans. Um, You know, <laughs> the article phrased it as that things got a little friskier back then. Ancient Romans, they're credited for the kissing tradition um, because of a festival that they would throw on honoring Saturn, the god of time, where also, where they were said that all social norms went out the window. So kissing people and celebrating and maybe getting a little bit frisky was not a big deal to the Romans at all, and nor should it should be, right? They're celebrating and honoring Saturn, the god of time. So many of the celebrations were kind of Christmas and New Year's together, and it just came on the focus of um, when Christianity took over the Roman Empire, and that's where the kiss came from, is people were honoring and felt like it was a great way to celebrate. There's not really much behind the actual kiss itself. I just think the Romans were frisky. That's what, that's what this article is telling me, is that the Romans were celebrating, and they were dabbling in some kisses, okay? So that's where it came from. Um, but I don't know. I also think for many of us, when I think of like kissing on New Year's, it's more of just kissing the people you love as you ring in the, the new year or kissing a person you love, however, however you roll. I don't know. These were fun to look at. I want to get more into what different now countries do to celebrate New Year's. There are some things with like food um, as well and different symbolizations, but most of New Year's comes from just very old traditions about time and celebrating that are kind of congruent across all of the diff all different countries. Um, but let's get into what each country does now to celebrate um, the New Year's. Okay, so these are different traditions around the world that I thought were pretty interesting. So as we know, the United States is watching the ball drop. Millions of Americans tune in for that. 
if you are in Brazil, you are headed to the beach, which I thought was amazing um, because it's summertime for them there. So many um, Brazilians will go to the beach to celebrate and you're supposed to jump um, into the waves, making seven wishes. It's very much a tradition. Um, they are paying, they're honoring the their God of water. So you're supposed to, before you get in the water, you're supposed to wear all white and it symbolizes purity. Go into the water, jump through seven waves and make seven wishes for the new year. So that's what people are doing in Brazil. Now, this is hilarious because for all my TikTok girlies, I know you have seen people eating 12 grapes under a table. So where do the 12 grapes come from? Well, let me tell you, because I was thinking about this. I, I saw everyone on TikTok doing this. Um, I mean, not everyone. Maybe I saw four videos, but that's everyone in my mind. But what people were doing is taking 12 grapes and eating them under a table right as it struck midnight or right within like the 12 seconds of midnight. And I was like, why are people doing this? And the video, they say, if you do that, you're going to meet the love of your life. At least the ones I saw, this is telling me something different, but eating the 12 grapes comes from Spain. The Spanish start off the new year by eating 12 grapes, which symbolizes, um, the 12 months of the year, which makes sense. And this started in the 19th century, and it's believed to ward off evil spirits while boosting your chances of a prosperous and lucky year. However, this will only work if you manage to eat all of the grapes in a matter of seconds since they need to be gone by the time the clock finishes striking midnight. So that's very important. You have to eat all your grapes within the time before the clock strikes midnight. So you probably want to start at 11.59 eat them, and then get up to midnight, and all your dreams will come true. But for the Spanish, it had nothing to do with a romantic partner or finding love. It more was having a prosperous year and taking each grape and making a different wish or goal um, to have a great year. So I looked into it more, and I couldn't find anything more than that besides that you needed to eat them by the time it it struck midnight. So I don't know about this whole situation, but if anyone's done it, oh, here goes a siren and it's gone. Perks of living off of Snelling Avenue in St. Paul. But I don't know. Has anyone done this? Has anyone found any good luck with this? I have, I needed to try it this year and I blew my chance. So we're going to have to do it for next year. But I'm sorry to say, folks, I don't know if this will bring you the love of your life, but it may bring you a prosperous year, which could include the love of your life. In India, um, they are building a sculpture of an old man and burning it down. That is that is the synopsis of what happens. But the burning symbolizes the passing of grievances from the old year and makes space for a new year to be born. I love that symbolization. Again, we're putting 2023 in the past. So that's an Indian tradition. Japan, you're eating soba noodle, noodles. Excuse me. Um, people in Japan kick off the new year by eating warm bowls of, of soba noodles. The tradition dates back um, many, many years ago and is tied to the Buddhist temple giving out noodles to the poor. Because the long, thin noodles are firm yet easy to bite, it's believed eating them symbolizes a literal break away from the old year. 
In France, they're feasting on champagne, which many of us also do um, to celebrate the New Year's as well. So we can obviously thank France for that. Um, there's usually plenty of dancing, food choices, but the sparkling wines are often paired with French cuisine. But I love how France is very, like, fancy and, you know, posh. It's like, we're going to have champagne and fancy food and dance and party all night long. It seems very, very French. Um, Denmark, they're throwing old plates. So in Denmark, they're chucking plates at your friends, <laughs> usually uh, signals, um, a conversation very wrong if you're if you're doing that if you're chucking it plate at anyone else so they were cautioning that you shouldn't do this except for any times during the new year they will reserve this for new year's eve traditions um to be able to break the plate but the it's more of like bring your loved ones with you with the best of luck the tradition is to break any kitchenware you accumulate drop it on your your doorstep the better off you'll be so more broken more broken glass more broken kitchenware um the better off you'll be i don't know how sustainable that is because as it mentioned denmark was like don't throw plates at people it's usually bad the conversation will go very wrong but now they want us to, now they break it and then put it on their doorstep. Again, I'm guessing it's symbolizing the old and with the new. But dishware is not cheap, my friends. Canada, they're going ice fishing. Not surprised. That seems very, very um, Canadian. The Philippines, they're serving 12 rounds of fruit, the 12 months of the year. Makes sense. Mexico, giving the gift of homemade tamales. Um, very much giving back here in this tradition. And I think it's a great way to symbolize, you know, helping those others and giving back um, as you get into the new year, right? What you give is what you'll receive. Greece, they hang onions outside of their door. And I've, I mean, we've heard of like garlic. Is garlic like a witch thing where you have like garlic around a witch? I don't know. But these traditions, it kind of makes sense. But basically in Greece, um, onions are a staple in the kitchen, but they also bring you good luck for the year ahead. So in Greece, you hang an onion outside of your door. It's believed to symbolize fertility and growth. Um, and that's because an onion is able to sprout on its own. The onion is hung on the door after church service on New Year's Day. Colombia placing three potatoes under your bed. I thought this was interesting. On New Year's Eve, Colombian households have a tradition of placing three potatoes under each family member's bed, one peeled, one not, and the last one only partially. At midnight, each person grabs for one with their eyes closed, and depending on the potato they select, can either expect a year of good fortune, financial struggle, or a mix of both. So your potatoes really, really going to determine what your year is going to look like. Ireland, see, I thought Ireland might be potatoes, but Ireland is banging bread against the walls. <laughs> so, um, and that's to ward off evil spirits. Families in Ireland make way for a healthy and prosperous new year by banging loaves of bread um, against the walls and doors throughout the home. There's, oh, this one was funny. Italy wearing red underwear. In Italy, it's considered good luck to be wearing red undergarments as the ball drops. How and when this practice started is disputed, but I think it's kind of good. And why not give it a try? So if you want to try, put on some red 
undergarments and we'll see if you can have a good new year's there wasn't much more about why the color red or where it came from but it's a tradition um that's been around for some time this makes sense to me puerto rico is cleaning your home um in many countries, obviously, including Puerto Rico, many other countries do this as well. It's customary to start the year by cleaning everything, and they mean everything. The idea behind it is simple. Out with the old and with the new. Start your new year fresh, and it will continue that way. Again, this title is called New Year Same Makeup. So clearly, I'm not on the Puerto Rico level of cleaning my own home because I can't even take off my makeup from the night before. So we're, we're getting there. In England, it's listening to Big Ben's bells um, on when it strikes midnight. That's a big tradition. Germany, it's watching dinner for one, um, which is a British comedy sketch show. It's in black and white. It was recorded in 1962, and it just became a tradition. It's only 18 minutes, um, but it's what the Germans like to watch. That was really all of them. Um, there obviously is many, many more traditions around the world and why people celebrate them. And I again, I just think it's really amazing that this is New Year's or the symbolization of New Year's out with the old and with the new is something that so many people are celebrating on a global level. And we don't really have that. And I think we don't have that all the time, especially as, as living here on earth. There are not many times where we all as people have a commonality at one time. Um, and it's not, it's not everywhere across the globe, right? It's not in every country. It's not in every household. But the turning of the new year, the turning to January 1st, out with the year before and with the new year, I think that connectedness is really beautiful and it's not something we generally see altogether. One thing I was thinking about was how New Year's changes so much as my life has gone on. And I'm sure many of us can relate to this. I don't really remember too much from my childhood about New Year's, um, hashtag trauma, but we're trying to dig into those memories. I have a couple of pretty good ones um, that I remember as my childhood, but through childhood, through like adolescence, teenage years to college into now, my New Year's have very much evolved. I remember some New Year's traditions. I remember having fondue with my dad and my brother a couple years, um, and that would be something we do to celebrate. I remember most likely being with my family or my cousins. I have a very vivid memory of going bowling um, with some of my cousins and my aunts and uncles. I was probably in middle school or elementary school and it was really fun, but I don't have too many memories of like consistent traditions with New Year's. I also think New Year's is maybe is more of like an adult thing. Like it doesn't become more fun until you can stay up past midnight and celebrate. And then I feel like once you have children, you either have to like get a sitter or you're kind of just celebrating New Year's at your home. But if you quick side note for any of my friends who know, but my dad is like a professional bowler so going bowling with him was like insane like he was so good he probably still is which is so annoying but in his prime he was like 
bowling league champion. I'm not kidding. He was in his own bowling league. And it's so annoying. You know, people who just are good or just easily pick up things and are so good at things like that's him. It's like the most obscure things like He's really good at, like, he must have really good high, um, hand-eye coordination because he's really good at, like, juggling, bowling. When he, he did, he played softball. He was a baseball pitcher, and then he played softball, and he played softball in his adult life. Pickleball, tennis. But it's, you know, it's like, Dad, when we're going bowling with, like, the friends and the cousins, like, do you really have to, like, be slinging these strikes down? Like, I'm just kind of like, let's take it easy. But he was in his own bowling league, and he had everything he needed. I mean, he would have his case, his shoes, his towel. He even, I think, yeah, he had his own bowling ball. Um, so I just, like, have this memory of, like, I remember going bowling on New Year's, but I have other memories of, like, him taking me bowling with, like, my friends. And it would, it would probably be, like, four 12-year-old girls, right? And he's just not the type of dad who's going to let, like, the kids win just because you're a kid. You know, he's throwing strike after strike after strike, like, warming up, drying his fingers on the little vent thing. Like, I never even knew what that was for. It's just, you know, it's just like, Dad, it's 3 p.m. on a Saturday. Like, <laughs> like we do not need this right now, but I loved it. Honestly, it's kind of funny. I just think that... It's, I think it's kind of hilarious when adults, like, don't let kids win. And you have to have a balance. But my point is, is I have some memories of bowling, fondue, some fun things I did um, as a kid to celebrate. But then, obviously, it progresses a little bit more once you get to middle school and high school. And now you have friends and you're having sleepovers. Also, side note, how do we feel about sleep sleepovers now? Like, I watch way too much court cam and 60 days in and like way too much crime investigation to ever want to send, if I have a child, to ever send them to a sleepover. Thankfully, all of my friends and families were so kind and nice and generous people. But man, now I think about that shit and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's scary sending your kid to a sleepover and not knowing what's going to happen. I don't even have a child. Okay, but my point is, is that when you're in middle school and high school, you, like, usually have parties to go to. I was definitely not, like, going to any, quote, wild high school parties. If you know, you know, I spent most of my time in Kelsey's basement with my friends. The Weebergs were, like, the modern-day Foreman family. Like, we just would walk in and out the house. Everyone was welcome. We would just hang out in the basement. I feel like I remember a couple of New Year's there, some parties. But serious, I really could not think of any New Year's parties except for like college, which I don't know what that means, but I got to figure that out. College is when it gets a little bit more like reckless and you're unsupervised with underage drinking, which is so cool when you're 18 and 19. It's just so cool, as we know. But how did I even do that in college? Like, it's honestly insane the amount of, like, drinking and just how easy you bounce back. But I have some good memories of college New Year's parties um, going to diff my friends if they were, like, at a different university. Lots of house parties. Um, and 
I think that those are really fun. I think New Year's becomes way more fun when you can, like, actually go out to a bar or, like, go to a celebration or a party. Don't get me wrong. Love, love house parties. But those are when I remember it getting a little bit more reckless, a little bit more unsupervised. Uh, by the time I was in college, I was like, oh, I don't need to drink UV blue, which is basically acid at this point. I can have champagne or some sort of sparkling wine. Or more like wine in a bag. But I really think about it. Like, I don't drink much now at all. Um, It just, like, hurts my body. It does not make me feel good. Which is crazy to think, like, in college, I would go out with my roommates, like, four days in a row, show up to my 8 a.m. class, work, and, like, do it all again the next day. Now, it's like, if I have green tea past noon I can't sleep so I don't know what happened to my body I guess I'm healthier now but that's all I can think about is New Year's like when I think of New Year's I think about going out being at the bars finally like that once you turn 21 because you know obviously I never snuck into any bars or anything like that. I was very good. Not like it would have been hard at all in Wisconsin because we pretty much just walked into the bars and no one ever ID'd us, but I would never do something like that. Okay. But I just remember going out, being at the bars, drinking, taking shots, cheersing on New Year's. It's kind of funny because like the whole night you're like partying, you're drinking, you cheers on New Year's, maybe have a few kisses and then it's like, okay, bye. Like it just kind of immediately ends at midnight and everyone goes their own separate way. But it's just, I just, I have this vivid memory of being in college where I lived with six roommates. Um, it was seven of us girls in a house in Wisconsin. Yes, that is considered a brothel legally. No one ever I don't know. Nothing ever happened, but that was a fun little fact we learned while living there. And I just remember like walking to the bars wearing no clothes. I mean, probably it was probably negative 10 degrees wearing like jeans, an op- like probably like an open jacket, like something cool, like a leather or like some sort of cool jacket, not a winter jacket. Definitely like tits out, you know what I mean? Like thinking I'm so cool and negative degree weather in Wisconsin. You know, it was for sure the alcohol and the low self esteem that kept me warm on those bitter, bitter nights. But that's what I remember the most about New Year's is being cold, trying to get into different bars, paying a ton of money for covers, drinking a lot, and then immediately going home at midnight. I have some better memories like after college and later into college when we had a little bit more money and could go out like going to different bars I think my preferred new year's is definitely like a house party now that I'm older it's like I like a house party with a good group of friends not like a huge party but where we're more sophisticated like we're eating food that people have prepared maybe we're sitting down a little bit maybe we're playing games we're chatting we're not like fist pumping, sweating at a club, which if that's your jam, like go for it. But I don't know. That's my new year's now. My new year's now is that. And my new year's this year was so lovely. I got to visit my friend back in Wisconsin. Here we go again, um, to visit her in Eau Claire. And we were so adults and we like made dinner, we had food and we chatted. 
I actually left before it turned midnight because I wanted to sleep in my own bed. So that's where I'm at as I'm pushing, as I'm pushing 30. Um, and I just, gosh, wow. It's, it's crazy. Like thinking about this and going back, I just thought about like how I don't really drink alcohol at, at all now. And I wish I could, I was just talking about that this weekend is that I wish I could drink a little bit more or like not, my whole thing is, is that I get sick. It's not about like being drunk that I don't like, or it's not like the taste or it's not like the act. It's that I will have like a glass of wine and my head will get really hot and my body will not feel good. I'll, I'll feel like I almost have the flu, like achy body. So I'm probably allergic. And when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I probably just didn't give a fuck and just, you know, did whatever I wanted. And I would strategically drink shots because in my mind it was like, okay, I can get drunk, but I can drink less healthy. I was thinking in such a healthy mindset, obviously, but that's what I remember about New Year's. I I don't know. I'm more on the ladder now. I think it gets better as you get older, but it's just so funny how it evolves from like family parties with your brother and your parents to middle school awkward parties and sleepovers where you were kind of in the basement as their parents were celebrating to college to being able to do what you want and binge drinking and going to dingy dive bars negative degree weather to now having more like house parties so the evolution of new year's has really changed for me but I honestly wouldn't change it. I like where I'm at now. And I think it's my favorite way. Like I'm like a dinner party gal now. Like that's, that's what I'm looking for. But where the new year saying makeup came from was that new year's. I think it, it had to have been my junior or senior year of college. And we were all freezing our asses off. We stumbled home. It's like past 1am. We all pass out. And the next morning, Again, there were seven of us. So we would always conjugate in the living room. We'd always be hung over, like laying on the couches, just hung over and hopeless. You know what I mean? And I remember us like all coming down. We just looked disheveled. Our hair is all over. Like our eyes are swollen and barely open. And I just remember sitting down and saying, New Year, same makeup. Like, it was just so funny how we all woke up and we were in the same makeup. And that pretty much sums it up, right? Like, New Year, same makeup. Like, it might be a new year, but I'm still that bitch doing (laughs) these reckless things and not taking off my makeup, which is, like, disgusting because now I, like, need to. But I guess when you're drunk, you, like, don't care. But New Year, same makeup. That's what your 20s are, you know? You just got to live it up that way. And I'm still 28, but I honestly can't wait until I turn until I turn 30. So a lot has changed, you know? I like my full hours of sleep, and I like sleeping in my bed. But I think this is probably really relatable, and everyone goes through that when it comes to New Year's and the changes that we all face. But what are your what are you, your New Year's Eve traditions? Like, have they changed a lot? Like, do you still go out? Like, what are fun things to do besides, like, drinking and going to the bars? Or is that, like, the event? I don't know. Maybe I need to come up with something. Like, New Year's for 28-year-olds who like to live a geriatric life. Switching gears, I want to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. Um, We talked about this a little bit last episode. I shared what some of my resolutions were. 
Um, but I want to get into like, what are the most popular resolutions? And before I read this, I wanted to take a guess. I'm going to guess the most popular New Year's resolution has something to do with exercising and losing weight, which is so bad. We love the diet culture here in America. It's really scary. Um, actually thinking about it. So let's take a look. This is by Forbes. It was 2024 New Year's resolution statistics. And let's get into it. Let's see what the t- most popular. So the most popular New Year's resolutions are improve fitness by 48%, improve finances 38, mental health 36, love to see that, lose weight 34, improve diet 32. So out of those five, improve fitness, lose weight, diet. So three out of the five have to do with how you look and your weight. Um, Diet a little bit, but I think people look at improving diet is to be able to lose weight. Um, There are some less popular traditions like traveling more is only 6%. Meditating is five. Drinking less alcohol is three. And performing better at work is 3%. Okay, yeah, yeah. Performing better at work is not on my New Year's resolution, okay? They don't pay me enough to add that into my own New Year's resolution. But I just thought these were interesting, and I think it has a lot to do with diet culture, honestly. Um, I think that's a lot of pressure on yourself, especially if those are the most popular ones. It's like, how unrealistic is that? Is if you're like, I'm gonna work out six times a week and I'm going to all that's also going to contribute to my diet so I can lose weight. That's what a lot of these are geared towards. And I'm not saying that those aren't bad goals. Those are great goals to have. But I think there's a little bit of a different way you can approach resolutions and goals. And so I wanted I took some of these and I wanted to come up with more of a gentle approach aka just like not complying with negative social constructs just because I think sometimes that can be a little bit harsh and it can set you up for failure. Um, And I truly believe how we speak to ourselves, how we think about ourselves, that matters. And, And how we speak is going to impact how we feel. As I shared, mine was simple, be kinder to myself. And I added in others. Again, I think being kind can include improving your fitness, losing weight, mental health, all those things, right? I want to be kinder to my body. I want to be kinder to my mind. Another one I came up with, especially around body, because a lot of the goals are around transforming your body, is listening and honoring my body and its needs. So maybe that's adding more vegetables into my diet. Maybe that's sleeping more. Maybe that's moving my body more, which put me into my next resolution slash slash goal is to add movement into my daily routine, try new recipes that are nourishing to my body instead of putting myself on a diet, practicing gratitude. I will say if you do not practice gratitude on a daily basis or even a handful of times a week, I would highly, highly recommend practicing. I have a little gratitude journal that has prompts that I just keep next to my bed You can write your own prompts, but I will say in the last year or two, practicing gratitude has really changed a lot for me um, and how I perceive life and how I move forward. I think 
when you recognize the things that are good, you can also recognize the things that are bad. But I think it's important to honor and have gratitude of the things that you do have or how you've learned from the bad or how you've grown from the bad. You really take a step back and you really see. I think about this often, especially when I'm in my way too expensive apartment and I'm I'm always like, how are people doing this? We're all like drowning in student loan debt and credit card debt. And, you know, I'm an independent woman who lives on my own. But when I practice gratitude, it takes away that pressure. I can really recognize I am so grateful that I paid my rent this much. I am so grateful that I have a place to stay this month that's stable. I'm grateful I can buy groceries. And you really take a step back and you realize like this is something I should be extremely grateful for because not everyone has that. And it's really changed my life. So sorry, TED Talk, highly, highly recommend practicing gratitude. I'll probably do more of an episode about gratitude and practicing gratitude because it re- it really has changed a lot for me. I think with financial goals, something that's, I really struggle with financial goals, 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 but something that I've done is instead of looking at it from a year, I look at it like month to month and it can be something super simple. Like I am not good with like saving money or knowing how to invest my money. Um, and so I just come up with smaller financial goals. And one of mine is to meet with my financial advisor in the beginning of this year, figure out a number that I can save each month. And it doesn't have to be something crazy. You know, it's probably unrealistic to be like, I'm going to save $2,000 a month. That's a lot of money to save, especially if you're paying rent, um, and you're not making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. So I think it can be something small, even if you're just like, I'm going to put away 50 bucks a month or even 25. It doesn't need to be anything crazy, but I think with financial goals, it's really a good place to start out small and in shorter increments of time. At least for me, it overwhelms me if I'm like, okay, by the end of the year, I want to save um, $10,000. It's just like that number is really daunting. But if I want to put away $200, $300, $400 a month, that's more doable. Another thing, this is not really a gentler way of saying this, but just less screen time, period. You know, as I was looking at these resolutions, especially like fitness, weight loss, dieting, it's so easy on social media to to just be like honestly brainwashed about what's going on. And even even the other resolutions too, like finances, mental health, traveling more, all those things. You know, it's so easy to be able to post those things on social media and, you know, to show that you're thriving. I find that less screen time is definitely beneficial for me. So I'm not doing that comparing game. But my whole point of talking about the resolutions and and what's common is that just because resolutions are common or you hear people talking about it, aka if I hear one person, if I hear one more person talk about the whole 30, I might, 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 might need to remove myself from the building. I just cannot. That's something I've been hearing way too much is the whole 30. And I'm happy for you if that works for you. But, like, we don't need to, like, talk about it so much or, like, shame people or, I don't know. It's just a lot. I feel like there's just been lots of talks about, like, I need to go to the gym eight days a week and 
I need to only eat chicken and rice and broccoli and the whole 30 and I, I can't eat anything, but I'm seeing results. I'm going to be very honest. I think that those goals are not sustainable and I don't think that they work unless that's already the lifestyle you're living. I found for myself, if I have more realistic goals and I don't rush them, I am just going to be more successful. You know, dieting or eating better, I would, like for an example, like if I was like, okay, in the past, if I wanted to diet or eat better, I would restrict myself to only eating certain foods or certain amounts of food. And restricting never works. And I just cannot eat the same meal every day. Like that will just not happen. I like have hyperfixate on foods and then I move on and it's just really hard for me. And through that, I've learned that like I failed. I failed with those types of goals because I would set unrealistic goals and I'd be like, why aren't I reaching my goals? Um, and I I cannot tell you, this probably is the only year in the 28 years of life where my New Year's resolutions or goals do not have to do with losing weight, eating better, or exercising more. For me, those types of mindsets or how I phrase that do not work for me, right? Like I need more of listening and honoring my body, being kinder myself, adding movement versus the flip side of restricting or putting myself in a box. So when it came to reworking like the dieting, I had to think about it more as I want to try recipes that nourish my body and I want to add more greenery to my meals, right? It's a goal that doesn't have parameters and you can move and adjust it as needed, but right, it's about nourishing my body. It's not about restricting my body. And I think through that and through adding those practices and how you speak to yourself, you'll be able to reach those goals because it's essentially the same goal. It's just phrased in a nicer, more eloquent, eloquent, um, I would say, kinder way to myself, which again, I think is really important how we talk to ourselves. And I just didn't put the pressure, right? I didn't have to force and I didn't have to change my current routines. It was about adding and not taking away. And I truly think that's the biggest key when it comes to resolutions or goals don't restrict, add, and slowly change routines and habits. We'll see. I'm excited for this year um, and just reminding myself of my goals and what I'm trying to put into 2024. But I also think it's okay if you don't have resolutions today. I don't think you need to, and I don't think you have to have goals. Like I said, I like the symbolization of the new year, fresh start. I'm really into like the number, like we're in month one, it works for me. Um, but I try to reevaluate my goals and resolutions throughout as they're going to be ever changing and evolving, which brings me to numerology. I talked about it a little bit before in, in last week's episode, but I wanted to talk about why this is 2024 is the year of karma. So what is, um, what is this? Like, why do people study numbers? What does numerology mean? So it's the study of the relationships between numbers, letters, and patterns. It's a tool that is used to gain a deeper knowledge of self, others, and how we relate to the world at large. Now, people might think that I'm like a whack job talking about this, but I don't really believe in coincidences. And I think that there's lots of patterns and synchronicities that we see every day. And I think numbers are one of them. 
So if you're looking at 2024 and you what numerology does is you're looking at each individual number, like numbers from like one through nine. So if you look at 2024, you're going to add each individual number. So two plus two plus four, right? Which adds up to eight. So we're starting out the year, 2024 is the year of eight, which is the year of karma. Eight signifies transformation, death, rebirth, and is considered a very karmic number. And that's where we come into the year of karma. I think it's a great number. I think transfer, transformation, death, and rebirth is a great place to be. I, like I said, I am ready to be reborn learn new things, and transform. And I think that comes with karma. I think it's a lot about what you put in is what you'll get. So we are looking forward to good karma coming our way. Karma could also mean that people might be experiencing lessons their own. They probably deserve it. So good luck to them. But that's where the year of karma came from was the symbolization of the number eight. You can also calculate your number for the year. So what you would do is you would add your birth month, date, and current year, and that would get you a number. So for example, my birthday is in May, so it would be five. I'm born May 16th, so it'd be five plus one plus six plus eight because um, the year is 2024, which is eight. So my number for this year is 20. But the goal, again, right, is to get to a single digit. So what you do if 20 is my number, I would do 2 plus 0, which equals 2, right? I want to get to that single digit. So for this year, my number is 2. So what does the number 2 mean? The number 2 is known as the supremely feminist force, one that represents both grace and power, always aiming to bring peace and balance back to relationships or situations. This number is also very sensitive of all the number. It has the strongest intuition. It is able to sense current feelings instinct instinctively, then use these clues to connect with others empathetically. At its core, the number two represents partnerships that coming together or balancing of two individual people, concepts, or ideas. While it holds great power over any situation, it is much more um, diplomatic and more on the control and authority side of things, but also bring in harmony and teamwork. It is a mediator able to see both sides of a situation and is unbiased way and guide others down the middle path. I thought that was a good number. I think that this year, at least in the number sense, is looking is looking good for me. Definitely need um some intuition. I would love some balance in my in my life and I love being a f powerful feminine force. So that's what I'm taking in. But highly recommend doing this. I think it's just a fun exercise to do whether it's based in science or not. Who cares? It is fun to do. So I, I would do it and you can just go and look up uh, numerology. You can look up what is my number of the year. You can plug, plug and play different dates and times um, and find out what those symbolize and take it as you will. Again, like I said, I don't think many things are coincidences, but once I started doing this, I noticed a lot more synchronicities in my life and numbers and patterns and letters that I see. And I guarantee once you do this, you will start to notice it more. It's really fun. I would actually love 
to get someone who specializes in this to come on in the future. That's that's future state of cute to me. But I think it would be really fun to have someone like you can get like your number chart read and it can talk to you about your future um, present and past. And I think that would be a really fun exercise to do. I've known some people who've gotten their numerology chart read and they had a really good time doing that. So that's wrapping up a little bit about New Year's. I know we're already hitting an hour. I'm proud of myself that I talked for an hour um, on this episode. Hopefully it wasn't just me rambling the whole time. But I think New Year's and the traditions and the numerology, I don't know, those are things that I really like lean into. And I love the symbolizations. I don't know, I guess I'm just a numbers girl, just like a numbers math girly. But before we wrap up, I just have to bring this up because I think that this, if this isn't on your mind, I don't know what is occupying, but all I'm thinking about is Gypsy Rose Blanchard. That's, that's all I'm thinking about is my girl Gypsy Rose. It's been on my mind. Um, I think it's been everywhere. There's been so much media, obviously with her being released, but next week I'm going to do a Gypsy Rose deep dive. I want to explore the timeline, how she overcame her abuse, and what's in her future now. There's so many different parts of her story. And I've been watching so many bits and pieces of her telling her story, her being interviewed. There was obviously a whole Hulu series dedicated to Gypsy Rose and her mother and what was done for her. And there's lots of polarizing opinions and thoughts on Gypsy and her story. I think many people really just know the basics. Is like her mom had Munchausen by proxy and Gypsy conspired with her then boyfriend to have her mother killed, right? Like they don't, like that's kind of it. But I don't think people really fully understand all of what Gypsy experienced and what was going on in her mind and soul. A lot of people think that Gypsy should be serving more jail time. A lot of people think that Gypsy should be serving the same amount as her then-boyfriend, who I'm pretty sure is going to be in prison for the rest of his life. But I think we need to dive into it because I think we need to see all sides of the relationship and what happened. But what I see from Gypsy is someone who was tortured, abused, and endured all of this her whole entire life. And I'm not commending murder by any means, but I think you really have to understand what Gypsy went through, where her mind was at. But as I see her now, as she's learned from her past, she acknowledges that she should have never murdered her mother. And now she's trying to be an advocate. She's living her best life. And I just want her to be happy and healthy. But I do want to dive into it more. I want to learn more about it. So we're going to do a little Gypsy Rose um, next week. Never thought I would be doing a cute to me episode about Gypsy Rose. But it is cute when we see people grow and learn and take their circumstances and that they're trying to build a better life and share their story to help other people. And I can really commend that. So Gypsy Rose is going to be our topic next week. And this is a wrap. Thanks for listening. I'm so happy I got to an hour, close to an hour in this episode. Thanks for listening to Cute to Me, New Year's Same Makeup. Have a lovely rest of your week. And next week, we're going to go full crime investigation.